We're reading from Joshua chapter 3 again this morning, and we're reading some uh, verses, uh, some that we read last week and some that we haven't. Verse 1, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said unto Joshua this day, Will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither. And hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jerzeites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you, into Jordan. We know that God will bless the public reading of his own precious word to our hearts. For three days and three nights, up to two million men, women and children camped on the edge of the Jordan as it rushed and roared from the Galilee towards the Dead Sea. The river was in full spate. It was the time of harvest, and it was approximately one mile wide. A formidable and a fearful sight to behold. Now this is the third week, I think, that we have been examining and considering this dramatic, spectacular event unique to the history of Israel. The twelve tribes in ranks and in order stood back and queued back approximately five miles to the plains of Moab. And as they waited on the command from Joshua, for the priests to go down into the Jordan. The officers and the leaders went through the people 
day and night, instructing them, encouraging them, and commanding them uh, what to do, showing them and telling them how to prepare to face this Jordan River. This river was fordless, it was bridgeless, it was boatless, it was ferryless, other than a pure, mighty miracle of God. There was no hope that two million men, women and children would cross over into the land of Canaan and to Jericho. What was needed for this event, my friend, was a dose of unadulterated faith. They were shut up to faith. And when we're shut up to faith, to faith alone, then we can expect God to work. They were shut up to faith. Secondly, their eyes were fixed upon the ark. And thirdly, they were to follow the instructions of their leader, Joshua. Remember, it was the lack of faith and unbelief that prevented their fathers from crossing over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. Hebrews tells us they had an evil heart of unbelief and because of the hardness of heart and the deceitfulness of sin, their carcasses fell in the river and one million and more were buried there. All the older generation that came out of Egypt, apart from Caleb and Joshua, all the rest of them perished in the wilderness. And I say to you this morning, if you consider this story, even though these people saw the Egyptians being decimated at the Red Sea, saw the wheels coming off the chariot, and crossing over onto the banks, partaking of the manna and the quails and the water. They grumbled and they murmured. And even when the grapes of Eskol were brought back by the spies from the land of Canaan, they still rebuked and rebelled and stood against God. And the psalmist in Psalm 78 says, they sinned all the more. You know, nothing grieves the heart of God than unbelief. Nothing grieves the heart of God than the lack of faith. My friend, God has blessed our nation in years gone past. God has blessed the people of God in years gone past. But there's a terrible unbelief. There's a terrible ungodliness in our nation this morning. And they have witnessed events from God in years gone by. And yet, even with COVID-19, and it being lifted off them at the moment, they're still mocking and they're still in their sin. I was grieved on Tuesday to see the Prime Minister in the House of Commons and uh, outlining what was going to happen in the lifting of these COVID restrictions. And when he said that the, he said that the caravan parks and the uh, holiday places uh, would be opened, they went to cheer up from the House of Commons 
And one man shouted, Hallelujah. I believe he was mocking God. And then in the next voice, the minister said, And the pubs and the restaurants are all going to be open. And they let a roar. And the same man shouted, Hallelujah. And then in the next breath, he said, And the churches too. And there wasn't a sound. There wasn't a mute from that great house of God. I wonder where our men were. With all their Bibles. There wasn't a move. There wasn't a mute. Our nation is ungodly. And it's godless. And it's faithless. And it's Christless. And we need a move of God. The Holy Spirit. And my friend as far as the church is concerned. We never lived in a day. When there was many unbelieving believers. I hope you're not an unbelieving believer. This morning, because I can tell you that unbelief and the lack of faith in the living and the eternal God binds the hands and fetters the hands of a God who wants to bestow and bequeath upon us blessing. There's many things God could do for you and he could do for your family and he could do for me and he could do for this church, but all for the lack of faith. An unbelief. He cannot do it, Jesus. It said that in Nazareth he could do no mighty works. No mighty works because of unbelief. Isn't that awesome? He wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in your family. He wants to do something in these days that we're, that we're in, in COVID-19. But he can't. He can't because we're so full of unbelief. Belief. We can sing all that we like, that faith is the victory, or my faith looks up to thee. But oh, my dear friend, it's all right singing, but do we believe God this morning? We can preach all we like about the martyrs and the covenanters, and we can praise God for the last drop of our blood, but as A.W. Tozer says, we cherish and guard the first drop of our own. Oh, we're a faithless generation. We need to move out of your comfort zone. We need to move towards the Jordan. We need to move towards the obstacles that are before us, believing that God, God can make a way through the wilderness. God can make a way for you, my friend, this morning, wherever you are and whatever your circumstances are. God can make a way because he deals with the impossibilities. Now last week we looked at the leader and the leading of this great host, the man Joshua. Then we looked at the learning and the lessons that they learned. And we saw that they learned the lessons that God was to be glorified and that faith was to be exercised. Now this morning we want to go on from the leading and from the learning to the leaving. To the leaving and this is the most difficult part. The leaving in verse 5, it says these words. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Tomorrow, tomorrow was the word. Maybe I'm speaking to someone and you've been praying and you've been hoping and you've been waiting. And maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, God will move 
Maybe tomorrow you'll get the answer to that prayer. Maybe tomorrow you'll see that you'll see that the uh, river being lifted. Maybe tomorrow you will see and feel that the storm that has been raging so long is going over. These people were on the verge of victory. They were on the eve of the exodus. And they were on the brink of blessing. Now the first thing that jumps out of this this morning regarding this is the waiting. The waiting. And we'll all agree this morning that waiting is one of the most difficult things that we can do in the Christian life. Waiting three long days, they camped in the ranks and their tribes, doing absolutely nothing but seeing and hearing and watching the roar and the sweep of the Jordan going past at a mile wide. And as the sun rose over from the east, it shone up the walls of Jericho and the mighty fortresses of Canaanite soldiers that were there ready to attack them. I tell you, God said to them, tomorrow we're going to face the foe. Tomorrow we're going out to make our mark. God said, don't move. Now this is the crux of my message this morning. God said, don't move. Until you see the ark on the shoulders of the priest going down into the Jordan. Verse 3. Then shall ye remove from your place. When you see the ark moving, you move. The ark was one of the most beautiful and one of the most expressive types of our Lord Jesus Christ in the word of God. And when ye see, when ye see the ark. Move, and not until you see it. I say to you, there's so many lessons to learn here this morning. And there's so many lessons to learn here this morning from ser to the servants of God and to pastors and to ministers, which my heart is heavy for in these days and in these nights in prayer. I heard of a pastor the other day that was in 17 churches and he's only 42 years of age. I doubt if he was waiting for the ark. I doubt if he was watching God. I doubt if he was moving when God said move. And we can run with our bag of sermons. And we can run from one place to another. With our messages down from the internet. But I wonder are they of God? My friend we need words from the mouth of God. And we don't need to move until God says move. God says it then ye shall remove out of your place. Then shall ye remove out of your place. And let me tell you something. We'll not be moving out of this place on Sunday morning until the ark goes before us. We will not be moving out until God says move. And that's why we have, as Stephen has, has said this morning, we have three nights of prayer beginning at 8 o'clock. Three nights a week. And I would expect you, if you have any interest in your family, in revival, in your home, to set a night apart. See Roy or myself, join with us. We're perfectly within the law. We're social distancing. You'll cleanse your hands on your way in and your way out. We'll not be using the toilets. And we will be praying as we have been doing. We're inviting you this morning to join with us and see what night suits you. 
to come and to cry on to God. We will not move. Don't move, he says, until the ark moves. Because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Wait thou on God. Wait thou on God. Am I speaking to someone this morning and you're champing at the bit to do some deal, to go someplace, to buy something, to change something? I don't know what it may be. I don't know what's going on in your mind. I don't know what you're thinking of doing tomorrow. I don't know what's in your vision for this week. But listen, let me say to you, get your eyes on the ark. Don't move until God says move. For you're in trouble if we do. When you see the ark move, then we will move. And when Jesus says go, then we, then we shall go and we shall move. COVID-19 has changed everything. Socially, nationally, financially, politically. And in the process of changing spiritually, the church of Jesus Christ, if we, the people of God, will allow him to do it. The future is untrodden and unchartered and unknown. The Jordan is before us. You have never passed this way here to four. This is all new, my friend. This is all novel. This is all different. Never in the history of the church, globally and legally, have we been closed down for four months. Why is this? All these things that were, all the things that we were used to are all gone. The singing's gone. The table's gone. The fellowship gone. The Sunday school's gone. The Friday night meetings are gone. The Bible week's gone. And by the way, the car park in Dungannon Park in July and August is gone. The handshakes are gone. We have never passed this way here to four. We have never been to the Jordan like this before. Why is this? Why is this? The most difficult thing for these people was to wait for the change was to wait for what God was going to do. Three days, it must have been a harrowing experience. Must have been an awful experience. But my friend, listen, till every purpose, there's a time. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to go. There's a time to stay. There's a time for war. And there's a time for peace. This is the time, the timing of God. Let us not miss what God is doing. Let us not get our eyes of the ark. No one resents change as much as I do. I'm a creature of habit. I'm traditional in my views. 
And it's often been said you can bend the sapling, but you can't bend the tree. But my friend, there's things that need to change. And we, the older generation, may not be very careful that we don't end up buried in the wilderness of doubt and unbelief. Let us remember, God is something new, and he wants to do it. But he wants the people to do it. And that's why I'm pleading with young men and young women. That's why I'm encouraging them. That's why I'm saying to them, you rise up. You go after the ark. Don't you perish in the wilderness. Don't you mumble and groan and complain and make excuses. Don't we make excuses? We can make excuses to go to the prayer meeting. We can make excuses to come on Sunday night to the moy. We can make excuses. But what does our heart say? Is our heart hungry and longing after God? Oh, my friend, there's things must change. And there's a change coming. There are things that can never change. And there's many things that must never change. We must never tamper or tinker or change with the old fundamental truth of God's word. They're unchangeable. The gospel is unchangeable. The word of God is unchangeable. It's unnegotiable. Ask for the old paths. Jeremiah says, and the good ways and walk therein. Oh, I tell you, there's change coming. Now listen to what I'm going to say as we come down to a close this morning. If this passage teaches us anything, it teaches us that the whole attitude towards the doctrine of Christ, the gospel and the cross needs to be re-examined and changed in the church. Now here's what I'm going to say. 21 times the ark is mentioned are referred to in chapter 3 and 4. Now listen, this Ark of the Covenant, this Ark of the Testimony, this beautiful, wonderful Ark of representing Christ has replaced all the other things that they held dear and trusted in. The pillar of fire and cloud is gone. The manna is gone. The quails are gone. The water from the rock is gone. This ark of the covenant, of God's covenant, is number one. It's number one. When the ark goes, you go. When the ark stays, you stay. When the ark goes down, you go down. When the ark comes up, you go up. When the ark goes over, you go over. Now even, even these young generation of believers here knew what the ark meant and what the ark was. The ark had a gold lid which speaks of the deity of Christ. It had a wooden box which speaks of the humility and humanity of Christ. It had four rings where the staves went into and the rings speak of eternity. It had inside the ark the commandments saying the law was finished. It had the manna saying the wilderness journey is finished. It had Aaron's rod budded saying that death was finished and resurrection has come. Oh, what mighty teaching is in this ark. And when the ark was lifted up onto the shoulders of the priests, every eye was on the ark, 
And it was a half a mile and more in front of the rest of them so that Jesus Christ is out front. He is number one. Every man, woman and child, even the children at the back of that mighty crowd could see the ark. Jesus is uplifted. He wants to be uplifted. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And he wants the space between two. Don't get too chummy with Jesus. My friend, we need to give him his rightful place. We need to watch him, keep our eyes on him. We need to get back into the doctrines of Christ and all that it means, the atonement, substitution, regeneration. We need to re-examine the ark. When we come back around the table, we need to re-examine Christ and what we're doing. And when we're singing the hymns, we need to sing them, my friend, with the ark and with Jesus Christ out, out in front. When you see the ark going down into the Jordan and the, and the priests stay there in the Jordan, you go down. When he went down, Jesus Christ went down into the depths where there was no standing. The only thing, the Jordan rolled over him and all the waves and billows of God's wrath. When you see him going down, that's the cross, my friend. When you see him going into death, when you see him coming up, that's the resurrection. When you see him going over, that's the ascension. Well, let me get this to you this morning. Make much of Christ. We need to make much of Jesus. The Lord has to put us out into the car park to hear messages like this. We need to make much of him. Make much of the cross. Oh, thank God every day that he went down into the deep where there was no standing. Thank God that he died just for the under. Thank God that he rose again. Thank God that he ascended up into glory. He, we need to keep our eyes on him. Not on men. Not on groups. Not on singers. We need to reinvent the whole doctrine of Christ. Twenty-one times the ark is mentioned here. Once we get back to the Christ of the cross, once we get back to Jesus and the blood and the atonement, once we get back to making much of Christ, once we get back to when we're talking to one another, all we can talk about is Jesus. The ark. The ark. Watch as it goes down. Watch as it comes up. Watch as it goes over. Watch as it goes in front of you. Keep your eyes on it. Not on men. Not on denominations. Not on the entertainment and the gimmicks and the shenanigans that have been going on to get crowds. To get crowds. God help us. I want to change this a wee moment. I want to take this text a wee moment. Can I speak a moment to some young man or some woman? This has been on my heart. And I want to apply this text to you for a wee moment. You've never passed this way before. Can I say to someone this morning, and I don't know where you are, young man or young woman, but you know you've been sheltered and fed night and day with the manna and the bread and the fish and the water from your father's table. And maybe tomorrow you'll be on your own. 
Maybe you're already out on your own. And someday soon you may be out on your own. You'll have to sow your own seed. You'll have to catch your own fish. You'll have to dig your own well and you'll have to fight your own battles. And you'll have to work out your own Jerichos. You're on your own tomorrow, son. Maybe I'm speaking to someone and you're about to enter into a relationship of marriage. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next year. And you've never passed that way before. It's all different. It will all change. You can't run back once you go to the Jordan and go over it. You can't go back. You must go on. So make sure. Make sure your eyes is on the ark. Make sure that you have the leading of Christ for that man or that woman. Make sure that you have the leading of Christ for that job, for that move, for that house. Make sure that you're on the ark. Because it will be disastrous otherwise. So there's the waiting. There's the watching. And lastly, there's the washing. And I'll have to continue on with this next week. Verse 5. Listen to what verse 5 says. It says wash. The wind has changed my scriptures here, but I'll get them in a minute. We need to quote the word right. Verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourself. Now listen. Take this with you this morning. I suggest that this text is saying, and Joshua's saying, and above all God is saying, unless we sanctify ourselves, the Lord will not do and cannot do wonders amongst us. You must get that into your heart this morning, as it has buried deep in my heart. Unless we sanctify ourselves, there will be no miracles, there will be no wonders, there will be no souls, there will be no blessings, there will be no revival, there will be no healings, there will be no forgivings. All these are miracles and signs and wonders. A miracle just means a sign and wonder. God wants to do miracles. He wants to do wonders amongst us. But he can't until we sanctify ourselves. F.B. Mayer said a hundred years ago, this is the very reason why revival tarries. Because the people of God are not clean. The people of God are not, not righteous, not holy. Psalm 77, the psalmist says, Thou God doest wonders amongst us. Many are the wonderful things that thou hast done. He wants to do wonders. But my friend, that, those wonders are clipped in here with the fact that we need to sanctify ourselves. That word sanctify means to be separated. That word sanctify means, it, it means in this, in this sense here, to wash their old garments, their old frocks and their cloaks and their vests, 
This was an outward act of inward purification, of cleanliness, holiness, and righteousness. Moses said the same thing, and he gave them the commandments. Put off the old garments. Wash and be clean. This, my friend, is the secret. And God then will do wonders amongst us. And I can't speak for you this morning. For it's a big enough job to speak for myself. And I don't know what you're tinkering with this morning. I don't know what you need to put off this morning. I don't know, but I know this. That if there's sin in the camp, if there's sin in the fellowship, if there's sin in the prayer meetings, there'll be no wonders, there'll be no blessings, there'll be no nothing. These leaders went through the people, sanctify, clean, get ready, get ready for tomorrow, be ready. For tomorrow God will do wonders amongst you. Now if they wouldn't have heeded the word, there would have been no lifting of the Jordan. My friend, we have a God this morning who doeth wonders. He done wonders with sin. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He done wonders with the sick. He healed the lame and the blind and the lepers and the palsied. And he can still heal the sick this morning. If we have faith to believe, he is able to do it. I have no doubt about that, that God can heal the sick this morning. I have faith to believe that he is able in his own will, in his own time, to save the sick, to heal the sick. So he did wonders with sin. He done wonders with sickness. He did wonders with Satan. Through death he destroyed him that had the power over death. Let me tell you this. He did wonders with the sea. This is a wonderful God, and he wants to do wonders. He did wonderful things at the Sea of Galilee. He did wonderful things over the sea. He broke the bread and fed the thousands. He did wonderful things on the sea. He calmed it. He did wonderful things. He, he did wonderful things on the sea. He walked on. He did wonderful things with the sea. He calmed it. He did wonderful things under the sea. Says Peter, go down and a fish will come up. And there'll be a coin in its mouth. I tell you, this is the eternal omnipotent creator of all things. And he wants to do wonders. He wants to bless. He wants to save. He wants to deliver. He wants to revive, but he can't for the sin in the camp. I wonder what you were watching last night. I wonder when we mentioned these prayer meetings this morning, is your heart glowing to get into prayer? Or is there something there that's keeping you back? My friend, you need to examine your heart and your life this morning. Because this is serious business. We're on the verge of the Jordan. We're on the verge of blessing. But he cannot and he will not bless. And he can't where there's sin. He says, get right with God. Get ready with God. Get ready to, be, to move over. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Let us not expect signs or wonders if there's uncleanness in our lives, in our camp, and in our home. So let us search our heart. Lord, cleanse me afresh. Don't expect souls to be saved, backsliders to be restored, conviction to come down, or repentance, or brokenness, or revival. If our lives are contaminated, defiled, and besmirched with unholy things, we need a clean mind. 
And you'll get a clean mind when you stop watching the unclean things and buying the unclean papers. We need clean minds and we need clean hands and we need clean language. We need clean business. We need clean accounts. We need to be clean if God's going to save and work and move. Can I say this as I close? There's no use coming to the prayer meetings unless you're clean. Unless you can look up into the eyes of God and say, Lord, as far as I know, there's nothing betwixt thee and me. And if there is, Lord, search my heart and see. Cleanse me afresh. Paul says, men ought always to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. David says, I will wash my hands in innocency before I approach thy altar. I want to read just a wee portion of scripture to close with in Isaiah chapter 1. Now here's a verse, and you have often heard it quoted. And it's not until recently I began to study it. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 1. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incenses and abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbath, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity even the solemn meeting. I wonder would he be saying that about our table and about all our performances and all our activities. Doesn't cut anything with God away with it. It's no use. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Friend, is that why we're so praying so much and nothing's happening? Is your hand, is his hand shortened that it cannot save? Is his ear heavy that it cannot hear? No, he says. And then he goes down the list of things. Your sins, your iniquities, your tongue have separated between you and your God. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. For your hands are full of blood. That doesn't mean that you've murdered somebody. Then verse 16 in Isaiah 1 says this, Wash you, Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Now listen. Come now. Come now. Let us reason together, said the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be. Don't quote that without quoting the verses before it. Wash you. Make you clean. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. And then he says, come now, now. When you have done that, then come before him. Come now 
Let us reason together. And the God of heaven will reason with us. And signs and wonders, my friend, are on the way. God's going to do a new thing and a mighty thing. And maybe next week we'll be down at the verge of the river. And we'll see the river opening up. And my dear friend, we'll see the whole host going through. And let me say the last verse in Joshua chapter 3 says that all of Israel, every last one, went clean over. Hallelujah. We're all going home to glory one day. Although it doesn't begin and doesn't sim, sim, it's not symbolic of heaven, but we're all going to go over. There's not one going to be lost. And we'll be forever with the Lord. May God help us this morning. May God speak to us this morning. May God help us this morning to search our hearts and be clean and holy that bear these vessels of the Lord and go forth commanding and demanding God to bless and to move upon us. Father, we thank you again this morning for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus and we want to keep our eyes on him. want to watch him this day as we go down into this week. Want to keep our eye on him when we're doing the business deal. Want to keep our eye on him when we're saying things to our family. Want to keep our eye on him, oh God, and all the things that we do. And wherever we are, we need to see Jesus. We need to uplift him. We ask, Lord God, our Father, that you will come with cleansing power. And that thou wilt wash and clean. We, Lord, have a responsibility to be clean and holy and open to God. Put a hunger and a desire in our hearts for Jesus. Oh, we thank you for the ark. We thank you that he's holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. Lord, I pray tonight for these men in the open air in Moy. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll come with them. We thank you for these gifted men that, Lord, you've sent into our midst. We pray, Lord, for the tracks as they're given out. We pray for these people that will come tonight. We pray that there'll be signs and wonders following the preaching of the word of God. Hear our cry. Bless this, dear people, we pray. For we ask all these things in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen.